Retailers brace for an uncertain peak season. The growing unicorns of the supply chain industry. And more news out of our nation's maritime ports. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Zebra Technologies. As demand increases, so does the cost to run legacy operations, leaving small and growing warehouses asking, how can I boost warehouse efficiency? The answers in black and white. Automate your operations with digital solutions from Zebra Technologies. Zebra has tools tailored to meet your needs that will inspire inventory visibility, drive prescriptive actions, and fuel data-driven performance to cut down costs. Get the answers at zebra.com slash the answer. That's zebra.com slash the answer. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, the holidays are coming probably faster than any of us are prepared for. And, and for retailers, there's a lot of questions this year. So what are the greatest challenges facing retailers and consumers this peak season as supply chain delays and disruptions continue? To address that, here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria? Thanks, Dave. Our guest today is Brian Palma, Senior Manager of Industry and Solutions at Canaxis, which is a supply chain management and sales operation planning software company based in uh, Canada. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Victoria. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, the pleasure is ours. Um, there's so much talk now about the supply chain delays and disruptions that Dave just mentioned and how they'll affect the holiday shopping season. I wanted to ask you to start off by saying, you know, what are the primary challenges facing retailers and consumers, you know, as we sit here today in, in mid-October? Yeah, so definitely lots to talk about. I would summarize this in three challenges. So the first challenge is managing the unpredictability of demand and supply. So for 2021, uh, it'll be a unique year for the holiday season. Definitely won't look like the 2020 holiday season where online shopping saw a surge and it probably won't look like the old normal of 2019. For the most part, uh, demand forecasts for the holiday season are set by now, but the challenge lies in whether retailers will receive the supply in time to meet that demand and how they will adjust if and when they determine that their demand forecasts were way off. The second challenge is balancing short-term and long-term risk. So with the disruption that we're seeing today, like shipping delays and container shortages, there are actions that retailers can take to offset the risk in the short term. But the more you lean into the short-term solutions, the more likely it is to hurt retailers in the long term. For example, if a retailer stocks up on a limited edition product just in case there's a huge surge in demand and the product doesn't actually sell as expected, the retailer may be forced to put that product on clearance come January and lose a lot of margin in the process. The third challenge is prioritizing the customer experience. So amidst all of the supply chain challenges, it becomes more difficult for retailers to focus on the customer experience. And if retailers are just stocking up on product that is available, but not necessarily in demand, this may actually lead to customer dissatisfaction and could lead to loyal customers deciding to get 
all their holiday needs at another retailer. Yeah, a lot of challenges out there for sure. What strategies do you um, expect retailers to take to deal with these problems? Maybe we can start with you know some short-term strategies. Mm, so what I'm seeing and, and what I'd expect to see retailers do to deal with these challenges uh, from a short-term perspective, uh, the first thing that I'm seeing is reduction in assortment. So as a consumer, when you think of holiday shopping at, say, Target, for example, you're probably expecting to see new products, whether it's the latest Marvel toy, limited edition Christmas flavors, or even a new consumer tech product. These new or limited edition products tend to add more strain to a supply chain. And since it's a new production run, cost and operational efficiencies just may not be optimal, which can lead to delivery delays to stores. So with these types of delays, retailers are taking action to actually remove assortment to prevent prolong out of stocks. Uh, for example, if that Marvel toy is so delayed that it's expected to arrive a month late, the retailer may remove that toy and give the space on shelf to say a, a James Bond toy instead. And uh, the other short-term strategy I would expect to see is a change in promotional strategy. Uh, for products that are generally low on inventory, promoting them at a deep discount may help sell them through but it may also leave a hole on shelf early in the season, and the deep discount would also affect the retailer's margin on the product. So to offset that, I would expect retailers either removing promotions or going more shallow on their promotional discounts that they offer. And both of these short-term strategies are, are not ideal for the customer experience, but retailers will need to balance the expectations of assortment and promotions with how dissatisfied customers will be if they walk into a store with no inventory or shop online with nothing available. What about long-term strategies then? What, what are they doing sort of to, to plan out for dealing with this? Mm -hmm. I'm expecting to see probably two key strategies that will drive the future of a retail supply chain. The first strategy is focused on breaking down silos. So rather than thinking about supply chain as a set of parts, retailers are seeing the need to gain more transparency across their entire supply chain, not just within the retailer supply chain of distribution centers and stores, but also transparency with their suppliers. For example, Hasbro and Mattel for the toy category at Target. And having this transparency leads to better collaboration and can enable what we call concurrent planning. With concurrent planning, when a change is made to one part of the supply chain, everyone can see and understand what that means for all parts of the supply chain. And the second thing uh, that I would say is we're seeing more of an investment in technology centered on people. So rather than buying technology to replace people, retailers continue to see the need for technology that empowers people, not just for transparency across the supply chain, but also to empower people to run multiple scenarios so they can stay agile and respond quickly to unexpected events. And especially in times like this where human experience and intuition can play a huge role in responding to unforeseen events. Today's brands are, are working in an omni-channel environment and with all the delays associated with online ordering this season, I wanted to ask, do you, do you expect retailers to sort of have an advantage on the, you know, brick and mortar side of the business? You know, that is, is, is there a way to sort of capitalize on inventory available in stores locally? 
Mm -hmm. So there's definitely a way for retailers to capitalize on inventory available in stores. Uh, many retailers are already doing it where they have the option to not only ship, ship to home, but to buy online and pick up in store. However, setting up these systems now um, in, in mid-October is probably too late to affect the holiday season. Uh, but one short-term tactic uh, could be to look at current in-store availability and see if any of that inventory could be transferred to a retailer's distribution centers that handle more of the online orders. And another tactic that uh, could work is uh, for retail, retailers to focus on in-store exclusive promotions that will drive customers to store. Um, and one example that I love sharing is the example of putting a large pack of toilet paper at 60% off in-store only, so that when customers walk in, they wanna grab a large cart to put that toilet paper in, and before they know it, their cart is filled up with so much more unexpected purchases. That's a good one. I like that. Um, at the risk of sounding a little crazy, you know, are there any upsides to the situation we see going on today? Are there any, you know, any areas where real retailers are saying I can really, um, you know, sort of capitalize on these issues or trends? Yeah, it definitely uh, is worth looking at the upsides for sure amidst all that's going on. I would say that the the upside in going through situations like today are in the collaboration that's needed to get through all of this uncertainty. Um, I think investment in technology can definitely help, but what's more important are the people that run the technology and how they collaborate with each other to solve those problems. Uh, so so I, I believe that an emphasis on the human element to the supply chain will probably be one of the biggest upsides to what is going on today. Thanks. And just just finally, I wanted to ask you, you know, what are the um, consequences to a business if it can't su successfully meet the challenges uh, we've discussed here? You talked a little bit about that earlier, but what are what are kind of the key um, key issues people uh, retailers should be aware of? Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, I think the greatest risk is customer dissatisfaction. Retailers can do everything in their power to optimize their supply chain, to minimize inventory costs, maximize revenue. Uh, but really, without the agility to meet customer needs, frankly, there is no business. Right. <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> Brian, mm. thank you so much for being our guest today. We really appreciate your insight. Of course. Thanks for having me, Victoria. Uh, we've been speaking with Brian Palma, Senior Manager of Industry and Solutions at Canaxis. Back to you, Dave. Thank you, Brian and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you wrote this week on the growing number of logistics startups that are reaching unicorn status. Why are they so attractive to investors? Yeah, it, it's been really striking to watch, Dave. Uh, our listeners know that a lot of venture capital money has been flowing into the logistics area in recent years. Uh, we track a lot of those fundraising rounds in the magazine, and it's all part of the industry's larger move towards digitalization and to building more automated, modern approaches for a lot of the manual work that has traditionally gone on in warehousing transportation. But we've been seeing lately that a lot of those privately held startups have gotten enough traction uh, that the business is worth more than a billion dollars. Uh, in the investing world, a startup firm that crosses that line is known as a unicorn uh, because achieving that level of success is a rare thing. And so many startups fail or bought out uh, long before they grow that big. And they still are rare, but we've been seeing an increasing number of them 
uh, in the logistics sector. For example, on Wednesday, the trucking technology startup Flock Freight became a unicorn when it announced a $215 million venture capital round uh, for its technology, which arranges uh, what it calls freight carpooling. So they, they pull loads from less than truckload into full truckload. And on Monday, uh, there's a fulfillment robotic vendor called Dexterity that did the same thing, becoming a unicorn as well when it raised a venture capital round of $140 million. Uh, and just last month, uh, there's a supply chain services vendor called Stored that hit that mark uh, when it raised $90 million in new funding. And, and, and as an aside, the reason that these things come up with those funding rounds is that the valuation of the company is sort of determined um, when, when a company raises venture capital, um, they typically sell um, a stake in itself uh, to the investors. And so if that stake represents a certain percentage of the company, then you can figure out what the whole must be. So uh, when those VC rounds happen, then that's when you can calculate uh, what that total valuation is and whether it might have crossed over a billion dollars. Sure. And, and those growth rates are really impressive, especially given the pandemic conditions of the past year. Are there particular types of technologies that these startups are offering that make them so attractive to investors? Yeah, I was trying to figure that out as well, but it really looks like it's all over the map. Um, and as we mentioned, it you know falls under the umbrella description of digitalization and logistics, but you know that term can apply to almost any kind of technology upgrade. Uh, looking at the recent examples above, um, those three that we mentioned uh, were in the areas of freight matching. Uh, warehouse robotics and warehousing and fulfillment services. So those are free, three different areas. Um, and then th there's a list of other recent unicorns um, in the sector. There's a third-party logistics provider called ShipBob, um, another digital freight forwarding provider there in Germany called Forto, uh, fleet management technology vendor Keep Trucking, uh, delivery and fulfillment cloud platform provider called Bring with two Gs. Uh, then a AMR robot vendor, Locus Robotics, and there's a self-driving truck technology called Plus. So, you know, the, add all those up and uh, they're really all different uh, links in the supply chain. So um, that those are nine different companies so far that we've talked about in, in that unicorn status. And they all have products or services across the full range of supply chain operations. Yeah, well, I guess those investments just go to show that the focus is really on the importance of supply chain businesses today. Thanks, Ben. Glad to do it. And Victoria, there's more news out of our nation's maritime ports. Can you share with us the latest? Absolutely, Dave. Yeah, so U.S. ports continued to post uh, record-setting cargo volume uh, this week. This is the time of the year a lot of them post their monthly volume. Um, and it says uh, supply chains uh, continue to struggle to keep up with accelerating demand. Um, just to give you a couple of examples, uh, the Port of New York and New Jersey said volume through the port has increased 26% from January through August. August is the latest data they um, publish. And also in South Carolina, the Ports Authority there said this week that volume increased 18% for its fiscal year um, ended September 30th. A little further south, Port Manatee, which is on Florida's Gulf Coast, posted a 53% increase in container volume uh, through the port for its fiscal year also ended September 30th. So much of what we've been seeing all year, just uh, a ton of uh, volume coming through the ports. And this follows last week's news of the Biden administration stepping in and trying to help alleviate some of the congestion on the West Coast by encouraging 24-7 operation at the ports of Los Angeles 
and Long Beach. We talked about that uh, last week. That work is still underway. Um, and in the meantime, it was interesting while the ports were um, talking about their uh, recent statistics, they were uh, many of them pointing to their ability to handle additional cargo, you know, despite the increases we're seeing, um, as a way to alleviate congestion uh, elsewhere. Uh, officials from South uh, Carolina to Florida and even in Northern California stepped up to say that they're open uh, to additional business. What exactly did these port officials say? Yeah, well, a few things. Um, yeah. In South Carolina, officials pointed to the additional capacity at the port um, due to recent infrastructure improvements there. And they pointed to that as an opportunity for cargo owners to diversify uh, their port strategies. Um, South Carolina ports opened a new terminal this past, past spring, which added a berth and 700,000 TEUs of capacity at the Port of Charleston. And that's just phase one of the project. So it, it's gonna be even bigger. I should note for those who uh, in our audience who may not know, TEUs are stands for 20 foot equivalent units. And those are a, a kind of measure of cargo capacity. Um, other port investments there include ongoing terminal upgrades, the Charleston Harbor Deepening Project, and also expansion of South Carolina's inland Port Greer, which is a little upstate from, from the ports, and that will add capa uh, cargo capacity and enhance uh, rail infrastructure. Uh, just a couple of other notes in Florida, we heard um, the governor there this week, uh, you know, noting that Florida's ports are open for more business as well. Um, and they also said that the ports will be offering different incentives for businesses to move more cargo through the state. And then um, the Port of Oakland, um, in, in talking this week, had er, was urging shipping lines to route more traffic there. They were citing that they have no congestion on the docks and that they're welcoming shipping lines that they actually said have bypassed the port since the summer. So officials there have long been saying, or I should say, should have, have been saying for quite some time that the excessive backups that we're seeing in Southern California have caused some ships to skip Oakland altogether. And actually in September, the port had its lowest number of vessel calls in about six years and import volume uh, dropped about 13% compared to a year ago. So the maritime director said this week that, you know, emphasized that the port hasn't experienced any vessel backlog since August. And as I said earlier, you know, they were urging shipping lines to divert more ships to Oakland. I should also say though, as we discussed last week, there are many issues and trends underlying the supply chain challenges we're seeing right now. Uh, so it's hard to know, you know, how much of an impact any kind of diversification strategy might have. Um, the thing is though, it seems pretty clear that uh, those in the, the trenches of the supply chain, so to speak, are, are working hard to alleviate the pain we're seeing out there. Yeah, at least it looks like it's trending in the right direction. Thanks, yeah. Victoria. You're welcome. And also with us today is Susan Lacefield the executive editor of our sister publication, CSCMP's Supply Chain Quarterly. And Susan, Supply Chain Quarterly has a new podcast series called The Top 10 Supply Chain Threats. And that uh, will be correct. starting on Tuesday. So what kind of threats will be discussed in the series? Thanks for having me back again, Dave. Um, yeah, so a lot of the threats that will be covered in the series have been touched upon in, in this episode of your podcast. Um, we'll be looking at labor constraints, inflation, of course, the freight capacity crunch, extreme weather. Those are just a few of the threats that are facing supply chains today. Yeah, and um, obviously, we, we've, we have talked about that a lot on this podcast, as well as within DC Velocity and Supply Chain Quarterly. And um, those folks who work in supply chain trenches every day need to be aware of these threats, and as well as the opportunities. That's also part of the the podcast is not just identifying the threats, but 
talking about opportunities, right? That's correct. A lot of our, our guests uh, offer solutions or a fresh perspective on the, the threats being faced or best practices that other companies are putting into action to respond. So uh, just to remind our listeners that the top 10 supply chain threats from Supply Chain Quarterly, that's a new limited edition podcast. It will start this Tuesday, October the 26th. So look for it in your podcast platforms that you have. You can subscribe to it. It's actually an 11-week series. It'll run for 11 episodes. Uh, the first one's an introductory episode, and then we will be addressing one threat each of the following 10 weeks, so a total of 11 weeks. So uh, we, again, encourage people to go and check out that out. You can just search Top 10 Supply Chain Threats on your podcast platform and subscribe to it. Thank you, Susan. Thanks, Dave. And we also encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories and check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on some of the topics that we discussed today. And again, our thanks to Brian Palma of Canaxis for being with us as our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can always email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. And we also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. And a reminder, Logistics Matters is sponsored by Zebra Technologies. As demand increases, so does the cost to run legacy operations, leaving small and growing warehouses asking, how can I boost my warehouse efficiency? Well, the answer is in black and white. Automate your operations with digital solutions from Zebra Technologies. Zebra has tools tailored to meet your needs that will inspire inventory visibility drive prescriptive actions, and fuel data-driven performance to cut down costs. Get the answers at zebra.com slash the answer. That's zebra.com slash the answer. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, so be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.